Friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton, and I'm your host for today's podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor Fulton, the Director of Marketing for Small Business Matters. Hello, Taylor. Hello. Good to be back. Yeah, it's great to be back. And Taylor, you know, I live in Atlanta. You live in Kansas City. I'm actually here in Kansas City on business. So this is the first time we've actually done this podcast together. What's that like? Very scary, but exciting. We are we are can officially say we're live from Kansas City. <laughs> live from Kansas City is is correct. And it snowed here today, so that was kind of a kind of a nice treat. A little bit little chilly. A little chilly. Yeah, I would uh I would not mind some uh, Atlanta or even some South Florida weather these days. Yeah. Well, and uh, I'm really excited about our, our guest today, Rami O'Day. I think he's got a lot of great information for our listeners. And so if you're ready, I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's do it. Good. Uh, Rami, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. Thank you, guys. I'm very happy to be here. So, uh, Taylor, I want to tell you a little bit, Rami. I had the chance to meet him a couple months ago, and, and a couple of things really stood out for me. He owned and operated a fitness facility in Sandy Springs in Georgia for over 20 years, very successful, started it, grew it, and then sold it. And so now he, he's an author. He's a, a speaker. He goes around the country uh, speaking about health and fitness, storyteller, presenter, guru on, on health and fitness for, for adults and and has all sorts, I know, great takeaways for our listeners. So, Rami, welcome to the show. I always start off with the first, the same question for each of our guests, and that is, tell me what it is that you do that matters to small business. Well, that's a great question, and I just want to know if I can use the title guru going forward. <laughs> I like that. You're welcome to it. <laughs> okay, good. That's my new title. I'm changing my business cards right now. Yeah. So as you said, I, I've been in the fitness industry for actually, um, let's see, almost almost 40 years now. But I've you know owned the business for 20. Uh, was a trainer before that. Worked in gyms and things like that, and just you know really had a great time with it. And then, like you said, had the opportunity to sell the business in April of last year. And I've moved into what I've always loved, which is coaching and motivational speaking and consulting. And I've also written a few books, so. Going to kind of promote that a little bit as well. And I guess if you ask why it matters, I mean, my drive for the last 30 years has been to change people's lives. So that was the mantra when I owned the gym. That's why we got out of bed in the morning. And that is what I'm doing now. And, and I feel like one of the reasons I sold the business was it was a great opportunity. I felt a little bit burned out from doing the same thing for 20 years. And we can talk more about that. But really, it was I feel like I can impact more people by this kind of the way I'm doing it now. And so I'm super excited about, you know, changing the lives of, you know, my goal, like I said, in the last meeting, we're in, I want to change the lives of over a million people. And, uh, you know, I'm already 57. So we got to get going right now. (laughs) Well, I think you've brought up an interesting point of uh, exit strategy. So Mm -hmm. you had a business, you grew a business, you sold a business. I know one of the things that a lot of small businesses don't think of is their exit strategy. So is that something that you had had planned out or is that something that came along sort of unexpected? So it's a, it really is a great story. In fact, I just did a, a whole podcast on it in the fitness industry um, a couple of months ago. And uh, 
we called it, uh, well, I wanted to call it rags to riches to rags to riches, um, but my friend, <laughs> called, my friend called it true grit. So, um, you know, I started the business in 1999, a uh, great time to start a business. You know, everybody was, uh, just growing like crazy back then. And, and really just, you know, I, it grew incredibly super happy with the way it did, had a great team. Um, we expanded twice in, in seven years and moved to a larger location in June of 2008. Does that year ring a bell for you guys at all? 2008? Anything, yeah, anything happened in so. that time? Painfully so. Yeah. Yeah. For just about everyone, and especially in a business that is 100% discretionary income, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, just to let you guys know, we were a boutique personal training studio. We weren't a $10 a month gym. Our average membership was $300 a month. Oh, boy. So yeah. when that hit, we got hit harder than just about everybody. I mean, I, I give the example. We had, at the peak of our business, we had 350 active clients, and probably 50 or more of them were in the real estate industry. Well, you remember the real estate industry mm -hmm. in Atlanta at that time. Um, you know, these guys weren't even paying their own mortgages, so a $300 a month membership was not going to happen. So, you know, I basically moved the business. Uh, doubled my fixed overhead, you know, overnight. And in the span of three months, the whole world fell apart. Right. Um, and, and none of us predicted it. So it wasn't, you know, I, I mean, I, I searched and searched and did all the numbers and really waited as long as I could before I, I moved and moved into a big building and actually purchased the building that we moved into. I like to say I purchased the building at the day that the market peaked in 2008. So <laughs> you have to have a sense of humor about these things to get through it. Right. Um, but anyway, it's it's a long way to answer to your question. Um, before that, I had thought about selling it at about 10 years. That was sort of my goal. I had run the numbers. That's when I thought it would be sort of worth it to sell it. So I had, from the very beginning, I had built the business as best I could as a sellable product. In other words, you know, documenting everything and making sure that somebody else could move into my position. I fairly quickly moved out of the, the business being about me and more about the products, which makes it much more sellable. But when all that happened, everything changed. Then it was just to survive, right? And really, I mean, it took us five years to turn it around. And um, I did turn it around probably the end, the beginning of 2015 is when we, that was 2015 was the first year that we grew again after going down. And, and I share all these numbers with people because I want people to know that it's possible. We, we grew 30% a year on average for the first eight years in business, which is pretty darn good, right? I think, oh, yeah. I think people would enjoy a 30% growth. Mm -hmm. And we lost 70% in the next five years. So we were down to just 30% of our peak revenue by, 2000, by, by 2014. So we turned it around. I brought somebody in that really, really helped me. And that's kind of what I know one of the questions that I've read ahead of the questions is about lessons, and mm -hmm. you know, mistakes you've made, uh, mm -hmm. failures that are all also, you know, uh, growth. And probably my biggest mistake as an owner is I was always a lone wolf. I felt like I could do everything myself. And I've always been extremely independent. And that served me well in a lot of ways. But when I ran out of what I call mojo after after five years, if you've ever been in that situation, it's a heck of a lot easier to build a brand new business than it is to rebuild one that has basically failed because you've done it already. You, you don't have the excitement. You're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm back, you know, where I was seven years ago or whatever. So I brought in a younger person 
to revitalize me. Uh, my business mentor actually recommended him. Um, it was kind of an interesting conversation. I was in a position really talking to him about moving the business into a smaller location and, or maybe even just getting out, like literally not even selling it, just walking away from it. And he said, you know, let's bring this guy in. Let's see what you can do. So I brought him in, in, in at the end of 2014 and it revitalized me and we started growing the business and we grew it average about 10 to 15 percent a year um, over the next till last year. So really good growth. And, and really importantly, more important than the growth is that and you know this from anybody who survived 08, 09 and 10 is that I completely changed my business model. My expenses were completely different. How I compensated my team was different. So my profit margin was so much better. So even, you know, even building it back at 10% a year was phenomenal. And so right around 2019, I, I had a really strong feeling. And, and this guy that I brought in, he was a big driver. He's an entrepreneur like me. And I knew he wanted his own space. So we started talking about opening another location. And I actually uh, drew up a pro forma and we were going to have another location that basically I would own, but he would, he would build into it. And he thought that was a great idea. And he went home and talked to his wife and literally came back the next week and said, I want to buy the whole thing. Mm. Wow. So it was not planned. <laughs> it was a shock. And what's even more shocking is the minute he said it, I felt like it was a good idea, which was really interesting to me because I was actually having fun at work again. We were making money. Um, I loved my team. We had the best team we'd ever had. Ironically, the smallest team I'd ever had with the most profit. Another mm -hmm. thing we learned how to do. And that was in September of 2018 when we had that first meeting. And we spent the next eight months negotiating. Like I said, I owned the building. So that mm -hmm. was a big negotiation because I had to become a landlord. I was always a landlord for myself. So I was pretty nice to myself, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it took eight months, which is amazing to me for a small business. But it worked out great. And I mean, I've talked to so many people that have sold their businesses. And they said, you can't get a better opportunity than an inside person. He had been there four years. All the clients loved him. He had the same value system as me. You know, he, he was gonna run the business pretty much the same, if not just better, right? It wasn't some big gym coming in to buy it. And he was set up for incredible success because he knew the business better than anybody. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so really, it wasn't planned, but once it came about, it was an incredible. I'm a very religious and spiritual person, and I just saw it as something from God, like this mm -hmm. is an opportunity I've always wanted to see if I could make speaking and coaching a full-time position, and this was my opportunity to do it. So we closed April 19th of last year. Taylor, you know, a couple important takeaways from what Rami has just shared with us, you know, the importance of resilience in a, in a small business, because we know that there are going to be times where we're going to get hit, and whether it's the economy or losing a key customer, so the importance of, of being resilient he also mentioned the um, willingness to ask for help. And, you know, a lot of business mm -hmm. owners uh, hesitate with that. And whether they see it as a sign of weakness or just an inability to, to ask for help. And then also the willingness to make change. You know, sometimes, you know, we're, we're coasting and, and it's, it's hard to say, okay, you know what, we've been doing this for a while, but we're just going to change our ways and, and the willingness to make change. And, so those are all great takeaways for our listeners. Rami, you mentioned, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, your role as a, a leader within the company. Mm -hmm. And I want to zero in on that. So when you had the company and you had your team, 
describe for us what did you see as your role as the owner, the CEO, the leader of the company? What were you responsible for? So that's a great question, and it obviously varied over 20 years. You know, I opened my doors with me and me. <laughs> and so, you know, I opened a gym with me and 12 clients that I had from training them in their homes and no employees. So initially, I was obviously everything, right? Mm -hmm. And then I immediately hired a couple of trainers. In the beginning, my model was to hire kind of mirror images of me because our model was very much bring in a great coach. I would be the person to go out. Really, my number one job was to go out and bring in business. So I learned really quickly how to do, you know, boots on the ground type guerrilla marketing, like going out and into the community. And that's where I learned how to speak in front of an audience. And really just, I felt like my role for probably the first 10 years was just keeping my team happy. That, that was my number one goal. My theory was, if I hired the right people, and I compensated them well, kept them happy, kept them engaged, kept them uh, feeling fulfilled, you know, with growth, I always tried to find growth opportunities, that it worked really well. The problem with that, what I learned when the economy shifted, and we moved into a much more expensive overhead, was that I, I couldn't afford it. I could not afford the compensation plan that I'd set up. So then I had to become much more of what I would call more of a, a overall CEO, where I really had to dive into the numbers and figure out how do we make this business more efficient? And it was great because right around that time, the industry was switching away from one-on-one -on -one personal training into group training, which is now the biggest thing. I mean, every corner has some type of group training on it, right? You, you, can't, mm -hmm. you can't drive without seeing one. And that's such a win. It's one of those weird things in business that's a win-win-win. It's better for the customers because it's less expensive. And it's also more fun because they're with their friends. It's better for the coach because they get to train four or five people at once, so they actually make more. And it's much better for the business because your profit is much higher. You've got five, six people paying you know, for personal training, and you're paying one coach to train them as opposed mm -hmm. to five coaches. So in that process, I became much more of an operations person. And I still stuck with the marketing. But luckily, thank God, that's when internet marketing took off. So I could spend more time in the club really running it and making sure that everything was running smoothly and less time out in the community. Um, and it's funny, that's now shifting back, right? There was somebody told me the other day that actually direct marketing, mail marketing is making a comeback now. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? Because we get so many emails and nobody looks at them anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So everything comes full circle. So, mm -hmm. so my role as the leader really, I mean, it shifted so much over the years. And towards the end, it was very much, you know, my job was to just bring in business and keep the lights on. You know, I, I had learned how to hire a team and set up systems and that the person who I hired really helped me with that. So the business could almost be not autonomous, but much more than it was before. And I think that's what really helped me sell it was that the systems were so strong that he could step in and be able to run it. No problem. Most small business owners make their fair share of mistakes. Um, and I think a lot of times that helps build the business and, and, get to where they want to be eventually. What are some of the, the best mistakes you made? And then maybe on the flip side, uh, some of the worst? I would say, you know, we already touched on what I consider my biggest one, which was being a lone wolf, you know, never really reaching out for help. I mean, I did everything. I mean, I had an attorney and I had an accountant, you know, I had external 1099 type people. 
but I never had a coach. I never had a mentor. I didn't believe in it. And I really paid the price for that. And the good part about that is when I finally did realize that I needed somebody, now I'm a coach, right? Isn't that funny? Like now I'm coaching other (laughs) business owners because I realized how unbelievably important it is to have an outside person, you know, giving you advice and and being able to see your business. You can't see it when you're in it every day. The person who can come in and see you from 30,000 feet is going to give you such better advice. The other thing I did that I would consider a mistake but also helped me at the time was, you know, we went through a lot before 2008. We went through 9-11. We went through the recession in 2002. You know, we definitely took some hits. And in the past, it was, there was a simple formula. I just got a larger line of credit and I just worked harder. I could work my product. So if, if things dipped, I could always train clients and that would help overhead, right? And I just put in more hours and just not take vacation. And because those recessions and those times were, to me, they were like six to nine months long in my industry. Well, I don't know if this is a mistake because I just assumed 2008 would be the same thing. Hmm. I mean, who knew that it would be five years? And it took me four and a half years to hit rock bottom and realize I've got to completely change to save this business. I try. It's so funny. When I went in and cleaned out my office, which is such an interesting process in itself, and I was going through my files, I had completely forgotten about all the different things that I tried, but they weren't, they were just working harder, you know, just to try to keep throwing darts at the wall to see if it would work. Right. But they weren't this paradigm shift that I really needed to do, which was to realize that I couldn't do it alone. And just like every other change that I've seen in people's lives, I mean, that's all I do is see people change their lives. There had to be such a massive amount of pain to get me to change. You know, I mean, I'm sure you read my bio. I run mm-hmm. ultra marathons for hobby. So I've got a fairly high pain tolerance. And that's, that's another kind of weakness I see because I got so far into that pain level before I finally realized, I mean, I, I'm very open about it. We got to the point where we were going to short sell the building and move back into like a 2000 square foot place to just save it, you know, before I hired that other person. Mm-hmm. That's how low we got in the business. Hmm. So yeah, those were kind of the the big mistakes I made. The other mistake, again, was something that worked in the beginning, which was really, really highly compensating my team and using that as a motivator. And what I realized is that only works so far. You you have to create, especially in today's environment with, with what people want out of a job now, you have to create a culture and a community that the people want to be in and feel fulfilled versus just giving them more money every year. It's just, first of all, it's not sustainable in a business sense, mm-hmm. right? Like how much can you, how much can your payroll be of your revenue? But also it just doesn't work. I mean, we all know that, you know, you give people a bonus and then the next year you can give them another bonus, but if it's $10 less, they're, they're like, well, what happened? Right. They're not even, the bonus doesn't even motivate them at all. So, so that's another thing I had to learn was to change how I compensated and how I took care of the employees and also hiring sort of a different type of person. So not to go into a whole lot of detail, but when we when we started, like I said, the trainers did everything. All I did for, you know, I ran the business, obviously. I did all the accounting and the marketing and all that. But I would go out and get leads. I, w- I worked part-time at Northside Hospital. It was a great job. Mm-hmm. And I would just go there and get leads and I would bring them in. And I would just give the leads to all the coaches, just pass them out. And they would go get them, right? That was their job. 
Well, because of that, I had to compensate them. I didn't have a salesperson. I didn't have a director. They were the salespeople. And that just didn't work because those people got to the point where like, well, why am I doing this for him? Why don't I just go out and open my own business? Hmm. Right. So we, yeah, so we switched it. So to the point where we do everything for the coaches now, this was at the end. We do all the marketing, all the sales. All they have to do is be the best coach possible. And it's so much easier for them because they can come in, have a great job, have a great ship, be done at one o'clock in the afternoon and just enjoy their life. They don't have to go home and make sales calls and put together programs. We do all that for them. So that was a big shift. And again, the, the mistake from there, going back to your question, was that I basically started by hiring a bunch of Ramis. I was like, oh, you know, you, you have the same degree as me. You have the same certification. You love, you know, selling. You, you love fitness. Great. I'll hire you. And then, you know, I, I mean, without going into detail, I ended up in court a few times because, you know, they had non-competes and they would violate them. And I had a guy, I had a guy leave, go three miles down the road and take a third of my clients in one day, oh boy. you know, and those type of things are really hard to bounce back from. But looking back on it, I set that up. You know, yeah. I gave him all the, yeah, I gave him everything he needed. Again, you know, long-winded answer, but hopefully that answers your question. No, those are so great, great examples of, of mistakes. Yeah. Rami, I want to shift gears here. Okay. More and more companies, it seems, are implementing, big and small companies, are implementing wellness programs for their employees. And they're mm -hmm. bringing in someone like yourself to help implement those programs. And I can see how that works out for the employees to be, you know, healthier and fitter. But what's in it for the company? If I'm a small business owner, why would I want to establish a wellness program for my employees? What's the win for the business? Well, that's a great question. I actually, we did that a fair amount when I ran the company. And when I left, I kept those, especially one company that I've worked with for seven years, I kept that out of my non-compete. So I'm actually still doing that. At one point, we had about five companies we were working with. And I'm staring at my computer right now, and right in front of me is a testimonial from one of my companies. So do you mind if I read it? It's pretty no, please, short. Go ahead. Okay, great. Uh, it says, Rami gave life to our health and wellness program as we were struggling with the employee engagement aspect. He was also able to educate the employee regarding the significance of knowing your numbers and creating the why factor. We have seen tremendous results in our employees visually in weight loss, muscle gain, et cetera, as well as improvement with their biometric screenings. Some have even become mentors for others. The best decision we ever made was making Rami our company's personal health coach. Hmm. And that's from, that's from a company called Resource Alliance in Alpharetta that I've worked with for seven years. So the real big thing, the big selling point when you go in to do a wellness program, and I'm still doing this, it's, it's a small part of my business mm -hmm. now, is the reduction in healthcare costs. Mm. You know, companies are just spending a ridiculous amount of money. I'm working with one company that's, they're spending so much, they're just going to self-fund it this year. Mm -hmm. They're going to just set up their own health and wellness, you know, uh, account. And if you can show them that you can reduce health spending by 40 or 50%, the fee that you charge is, is nothing compared to that. And so that's kind of the number one, I would say, the metric that they really look at because mm -hmm. that's an ROI that's been proven. But what I really see is the teamwork. You know, we bring them together for workouts at the gym that I used to own. We They do Spartan races together. I mean, of course, they go bowling. You know, they do things like that. But the connection that the employees have, and you know that, that employees that are connected are just going to be so much more productive and happier. And, you know, of course, I'm a huge believer is if they're healthier – they're going to be better at everything. In fact, my master's thesis was on that. 
was the effects of exercise on, on productivity in, in, a, in a company. So, yeah, so I've seen great results that it's, it's really, really fun to do. I'll be at one of my companies this Friday. Uh, I go there every month and uh, check in with them. Well, Rami, tell us a little bit about your book. Oh, cool. Yeah. So back in, I guess it was about 2009, I started a blog that everybody started back then. And it was really um, about my running. My running is my is my passion. It's now become uh, a really big religious and spiritual component for me. And what I found, that was a really, really difficult time in my life in many, many ways, both personal and business. And running at that time was the only time that I felt like I could quiet my anxiety-ridden mind that we all have. And so I started writing a blog about it, about these epiphanies that I would have while I was running. You know, it's funny. People are like, how do you remember all of it? I said, well, I tried to record myself while running on, and I run on trails. So you know what the Appalachian Trail is like, right, mm-hmm. in Georgia? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, imagine running there and trying to dictate a book at the same time. <laughs> that, was not, that was not a good idea. So, but I would just keep notes and I would write this blog. And then, of course, somebody said, this is a great blog. You should make it into a book. So I combined my blog and then I kept writing it and started writing um, it. And I titled it Quiet the Noise, um, A Trail Runner's Path to Hearing God. And I started writing that in 2009 and I published it in 2012. And it's so funny. If you've ever written anything, writing is just like everything else. It's a muscle. I have three volumes of the same book, basically. It just follows my career. As I started, you know, 15 years old, I couldn't run a quarter mile around a block. And then my final book, my second book, talks about me actually finishing a 100-mile trail race. So that was a, that, that's all in one day, by the way. Like, people go, oh, 100 miles, how many weeks did you have to do that? I said, no, I was For years. 26 hours, 26 <laughs> hours and 52 minutes. I got that done in. So, so it chronicles it, but I wrote the second book in, in a year, and I wrote the third book in nine months. So... So those are all out there. And, and that's um, when I do my speaking now, the book is always there. But I actually, when I speak at more like not for profits or churches or religious institutions, I speak a lot more on the relationship of exercise to, to religion and spirituality. And then when I speak in corporations, I use a lot of the running 100 miles as a metaphor for achieving the really high level goals. So I speak to sales groups and things like that. And I just, I, sh- kind of use a step-by-step process is I'm not really built or was never really a runner. I did it just to get in shape for other sports and I was able to do it. And I, I kind of talk about how I did that. And then I relate it to whatever goal that the company wants them to work on, whether it's sales metrics or revenue or whatever. So that's been really fun. And I keep an active Facebook page about it and I do a, a post every day and, and it's just been great. And I actually donate a percentage of all the sales to the homeless in Atlanta, which is one of my one of my missions working with them. That's fantastic. To, to dive deeper in that a little bit, you've hit home for me because I'm a bit of a runner. I don't do 100-mile trail runs by any means, but uh, I've done a couple half marathons. And I know for a lot of people, they see running as purely physical or something of a workout, if you will. But as you said, it can be very spiritual if you're in the right mind frame. So if you could talk a little bit more about that and some of the benefits our, our listeners could get from that point of view. Yeah, and it's funny. I sign up whenever I sign a book. When I'm selling them, I say, "May this book help you find your own way to quiet the noise." Because mm-hmm. what I get at in the book, and because it is about running, but that's just because that's the way I find it's the best way for me to quiet. Uh, I've dealt my all my whole life with with chronic anxiety, and it's it's a thousand percent better now. And I really attribute that to, to a lot of things, but running is definitely one of them. You know, we all have somewhere we can go 
that we can shut shut that off, right? And and it's funny because I typically run with music, and they're like, "Wait, that's noise." And I said, "No, music's not noise. Music is uplifting, and it makes me feel good. Noise is the chatter in my head that won't turn off. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, negative things or or you know, perseverating about something like you can't get it out of your head, and running and it's funny, you know, I was a competitive triathlete for years. That's where a lot of my competitions were for for like 15 years. And I used to have to really push myself to an unbelievable level to really clear my head. And now just like any other muscle, if I get out of my house, drive three miles to one of the local Chattahoochee trails, we've got trails all over Atlanta, Mm -hmm. within five minutes of just walking on the trail, I'm 90% better than I was when I was in my car. And I think it's so important with the amount of technology, especially for, I've got a 15 year old and an 18 year old, and I just see they spend their whole lives online. And when I get them outdoors, they're just so happy. And we all have that. So, you know, when when people read my book, I always ask them, like, even if they're not runners or like, you know, I feel this when I paint, or I feel this when I'm underneath my car working on it, or, you know, it it resonates with people when when I knit or, or, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter but we all need something to get away from the noise. And that's where I found it. And I, I use it a lot for prayer time. I'm a Catholic, so I'll do a full rosary when I start my run. And it just completely changes my, it changes my mood. And the beauty of it is it can be a half hour. It doesn't have to be a hundred miles, by the way, to be clear, I promised my wife at the end of the hundred miles, I would never do one again. And so far I've kept my promise. So she actually filmed it and sent it to me, you know, afterwards saying, I filmed you saying this, I'm going to send it to our lawyer. You know, it's a, it's a big commitment, but yeah. And so that's, that's where it's done for me. And it really took a leap when I, when I started training off road, when I got off the roads, um, out of traffic and just onto the trails. And, and I found an incredible community around that. And that's another thing that I write about in my book is, you know, we think we have a community because we have Twitter and Facebook. It's not a community. A community are the people, you know, it, that you that you play tennis with or that you run with or that you, you know, go travel with or your church or your all your communities, but they're not the people online. And that's what it's done for mm-hmm. me. It's funny. When I post on my thing now, when I when I comp- I still compete, I did a race last did a race last two weekends, and I said, really, <laughs> my races now are more about getting together with friends, uh, getting a great workout in, and having a couple of beers and talking afterwards. You know, so that's that's where it is. So, Rami, I know many of our listeners, you know, small business owners and operators, they're conscious of their health and their fitness, and they're always looking for new ways to prove that. And yet there seems, you know, we live in an age, there's so much information available about health and fitness. And you talk about, you know, quiet the noise. There's a lot of noise around how do I get more fit and healthy. So help our listeners out. If you were to provide maybe just a a handful of, of suggestions for a CEO about getting in better shape and getting healthier, what are a couple, couple ideas that come to mind? I will tell you, and I start every presentation with this when, when I'm, when I do a presentation that's related to health and wellness, that's the number one question that I get. It's typically, what is the best diet? What is the best exercise typically for fat loss or weight loss? What is the best piece of equipment? And my answer, and people don't like this, is none of that matters. The thing that matters the most is why you're doing it. So the first thing I coach people on, like I do nutritional counseling. It's one of the things I do as well. Mm-hmm. 
And it's frustrating for people because, of course, they call and they want the latest, greatest diet, right? They think I have all the answers and I've got this amazing diet where you can eat pizza three times a day and you're going to lose weight, right? By the way, if I had that, we wouldn't be on this call. I would be on my private island somewhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'd say really what I spend the first couple of weeks is why do you want to lose weight? Why do you want to get healthier? What is it, you know? And that's a really hard conversation for people to have. Like, if you guys, you're probably thinking about it right now. Like, there's something that you want to get better at in your health, whether it's sleep or I'm going to drink more water, I'm going to exercise more, I'm going to eat less uh, candy, whatever that is. You've got to know why that is, because it's too easy in our society to not be healthy. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, of course. yeah, you, it, it's so easy to sit around. I can sit here. I don't have to leave my house to get food. I don't have to, you know, everything can be ordered on Amazon. I don't need to go to the store anymore. And so if you don't have a powerful why reason, and I think it was um, Gary Keller of Keller Williams, he said that if, if it doesn't make you cry, it's not a big enough why. And mm. that's what I do with people. And I dive in. So for instance, I'll ask people like, well, why do you want to lose weight? Well, um, I want to look better. Why do you want to look better? Well, you know, I don't feel good about myself. Why don't you feel? And so that you peel back the onion with people and then you get to something like, well, you know, I just got divorced and I've never, I haven't dated for 25 years and I'm really self-conscious about going out there. All of a sudden now you have this powerful reason for somebody to get out of bed in the morning, right? So when I'm coaching people, I do that. So that's the number one thing. Figure out your why and then make it public, write it everywhere. You know, when you're out to lunch and everybody else is ordering pizza and you order a salad, you need to be able to tell people why you're doing it. You know, isn't it funny? I always think it's interesting where you can be out to lunch and somebody orders a healthy meal and, oh, why didn't you order pizza? And they say, well, I'm diabetic. Oh, oh, that's okay. But if you were to say, my parents are diabetic and I don't want to become diabetic, nobody even listens to that, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really, it's interesting. We're not about prevention. You know, if you're already sick, everybody supports you doing something good. So I coach people on the why first. And then what I tell people is really, you know, come from a place of there's too much deprivation in, in the mm -hmm. in the diet and, and fitness world. Right. So come from a place of joy. You know, look, I like running. It, running is not fun. Taylor, you know that. Like, you know, it's not like, it, it, you know, yeah, it's not like, some days it's are not than bowling, others. you know, well, you know, exactly. Like I coached cross country for four years in middle school and I would open every season with what sport do other sports use for punishment when you do something wrong? Uh, yeah. Running. Yeah. What does that tell? What does that tell you about running? It really hard. So if you don't like it, even though it burns a lot of calories, don't try to do it. What did you love as a kid? Did you like biking? I think that's why the Peloton is so uh, popular right now. It's mm -hmm. very convenient because it's in people's homes and everybody loves to ride a bike. We all did growing up. Swimming is great for you, right? It's non-impact. It, it builds muscle, you know, builds a little bit of muscle. It's great for cardio. It's, it's very quiet, right? Because, you know, mm -hmm. even though you can listen to a Walkman, a Walkman, God, I just showed my age, didn't I? <laughs> a, an iPod. Not everybody likes swimming, you know? So when I'm coaching somebody, I'm like, come from a place of joy. Same thing with diet. The first thing people do, and when does everybody start their diet is January 1st, right? They usually go on the most ridiculously depriving diet they can find, you know, whether it's low calorie, low carb, whatever it is, and they fail after about two weeks. I tell people, figure out something where you get to have things. So like if you love vegetables, and some people do, let's make, let's find a vegetarian or a vegan plan for you where you feel like you get to have a ton of vegetables. 
I do a high fat, low carb diet. You know why? Because I love fatty foods and I always have. I was a kid who wanted to have eggs and sausage and didn't want the toast growing mm -hmm. up. So that works for me. And it, and it also works for me now. It might not have worked for me 20 years ago. So coming from a place of joy, I, I'm sure you guys can tell as I answer this question, I have a degree in psychology as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I work way more on the psychology than I do on the physiology because Look, I work with people, like you said, CEOs. I work with people in their 50s or 60s or 70s. There's no lack of knowledge in the United States right now. There's too much knowledge. Sure. What there is what there is a lack of is somebody who can simplify it and also find the reason behind it. You know, we've had a number of guests on the Small Business Matters podcast talk about the importance in business of having a powerful why, of having a, a powerful mission. Mm -hmm in business. And we're hearing Rami talk about in, in our personal lives as it relates to health and fitness, equally important, having a, a powerful why. So interesting, you know, the, the contrast bet between the two. Friends, you're listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. Our guest today is Rami O'Day, and he is he's our favorite uh, expert and I'll, I'll use the term again, guru in health and fitness for <laughs> individuals and for companies. Well, Rami, we've gotten to my favorite part of the podcast. It's the rapid fire questions. Taylor has several rapid fire questions for you. And, and okay. we're looking for rapid fire uh, answers. So, Taylor, it's all yours. All righty. Well, Rami, right. we'll start easy. Going back to running, what is your favorite running spot in Atlanta? I would say Amicola Falls, uh, the base of the Appalachian Trail. Excellent. I'll add that to my mm -hmm. list. There you go. Um, what is a, a book recommendation that you would have for anybody who wants to learn more about health, wellness, the, the psychology of it all? I really like Tim Ferriss's stuff. Uh, the 4-Hour the Body, it, it's still great. It's, it's been out for years, but it's such a wealth of knowledge, and it's got such really applicable things to do. That was a very impactful book. I've read it a couple times. I've given it to a ton of people, so I really, really like his stuff. Excellent. I would agree. I'm a big well, Tim Ferriss fan. Yeah. And of course, Quiet the Noise by Rami O'Day. I mean, that's probably the best book out there. You know? <laughs> I can second that. We'll add that to the Amazon list, right? <laughs> there you go. I love it. <laughs> um, Rami, you seem like a, a pretty busy guy and uh, juggle both your professional, your personal life. What are a couple productivity tips you would have for our listeners in terms of staying efficient and staying organized? My number one has always been lists. And, you know, it started back in the day of writing them out on a piece of paper. Now, of course, it's all digital. But I plan my week and definitely my next day, always the day before. So I never wake up and not know uh, what's coming. I mean, I think we all do that with appointments, but I actually plan my whole to-do. And I try to uh, attack the things like they tell you to, you know, do the most important thing first. And mm -hmm. again, that's a big uh, Keller Williams thing, right? And but I would say that would be my number one is planning the day next day. And then really important, trying to get to sleep at the same time every night and up early, as early as you're comfortable with. And what I try to do every morning is have a ritual that doesn't involve work for at least the first 30 minutes of my day. So mine is prayer time, meditation, visualization, quiet time, and then usually some form of exercise um, before I hit the ground running, unless I've got something really busy to do. And that makes for a much more productive day for me. Oh, that's an excellent tip. I love that. Um, mm -hmm. We'll get you out of here on this. Speaking of letting yourself live and, and not depriving yourself, what is your favorite Atlanta restaurant? 
Uh, healthy or not healthy? Oh, whatever you want. Question. No, not healthy. Well, I'm not healthy. So my family hates this, but we go to Ippolito's Italian twice a year, which, which is Father's Day and my birthday. And it's my biggest pig out of the whole year. And I absolutely love it. I used to train the owner years ago. So I'm going to give him a plug because, and unfortunately, I'm going to give him a plug and say it is definitely not healthy. So please don't eat there every night. But I love that place. So family run and it reminds me of growing up in New York. So I love it. Oh, well, I, we would lie if we said we have not been to Ippolito's our fair share of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got you to run a lot if you go there more than twice that's a year, right. that's for sure. Rami, I can't believe how fast our time has gone. You've given us some great takeaways, you know, how to build resilience in our business, the importance of asking for help and the willingness to make changes in our business, you know, the role that you had within your business, the focus on growth, the focus on your people, being operationally minded, the idea that every business can have a wellness program for their employees and the benefits of that. And, and last, the importance of having a, a really important why, not only in business, but in our personal lives as well. I want to remind our listeners, if you're looking for an outstanding speaker on health and fitness, uh, Rami should be your first choice. Uh, if your company is looking for someone to come in and help guide your employees on becoming fitter and stronger and healthier, Rami can also be extremely helpful in that regard. Uh, Rami, I know that some of our, our listeners are going to want to reach out to you after hearing you on the podcast. What's the easiest way for them to, to find you? Uh, the easiest thing is my website. Everything is there. It's coachrami.com. It's just just like it sounds, coachrami.com. My books are there, the speaking, the contact form. Uh, there's there's videos. You can see kind of samples of how I speak and all of my services are on there as well. And then my Facebook and, and uh, LinkedIn are all that there as well. Great. Well, thank you again for, for being with us. And, and I hope maybe you'll come back and be with us again in the future. I would love it. And then we'll meet at Apolitos next time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be great. Thank you. Taylor, we'll begin to wind things down. Maybe a couple announcements for our listeners. I don't know if you were aware of this, but uh, in January, we celebrated the 20th year of publishing the Small Business Matters newsletter. 20 years. Can you believe that? Wow. Very impressive. Yeah. 20 years with a newsletter. For our listeners, if you're not already a subscriber of the Small Business Matters newsletter, you can visit our website at smallbusinessmattersonline.com. We've got a boot camp uh, going on starting this month. We have our monthly luncheons, the Small Business Matters uh, lunch. We've had great attendance at those. Uh, we also have a big event coming up in May. Taylor, you want to tell our listeners about that? Of course. Our annual Small Business Matters conference will take place again in May. We'll have more details on the website in the coming weeks. Uh, but please check the website, the newsletter regularly for registration. Well, for our listeners, thank you for listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters. Mm -hmm.